You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. Good to be together again. Bron said as we're driving here this morning, wow, it seems like so much has happened in the week since last Sunday. Um, indeed it does. It's been a, been a great week, a wonderful week, um, and a busy one. Well, sometimes we can feel a little, little isolated and alone regarding our situation, regarding being the people who are called to, to shine the light of Jesus in this day and age. We feel inadequate many, many times over. But we are like many generations before us. Back in the 1800s, it was the Industrial Revolution in England that was, was kind of had, had many people kind of wondering, hey, is this really good for us? It seems to be, you know, breaking up families, sending people off the land and going into towns and cities where, you know, um, the morals aren't what they are back in our, in our you know, little communities. And people do not fear God the way that they, they do here. And, and the Industrial Revolution brought, brought some concern. In fact, it had um, one particular poet and painter, actually, William Blake, um, write, a, write a particular poem and did these feet in ancient times. Some of, you, some of you may know of that poem. I always wondered why at Carols by Candlelight, a particular singer, I, I, I can't remember his name, gets up and sings, Jerusalem, you know that song? I was thinking, what's that got to do with Christmas? I mean, I know that Jesus was born in Jerusalem, but I, I, I hadn't made the connection yet. And, um, and I've discovered that, in actual fact, the, the hymn, Jerusalem, actually comes from this poem by William Blake. And the poem goes on, I won't, I won't read it out in its entirety, just a couple of lines, but the poem goes to, to explore a little bit of a myth. And this myth was that, in some of the undocumented years of Jesus, is there a chance that he made his way to England? Hmm. <laughs> As uh, the Brits who thought that up, I think. And, um, and so this poem goes to explore, you know, in that those days of chaos, you know, is, is, is there a chance perhaps that the holy feet of Jesus blessed the nation of Britannia? And, um, and did, he, did he walk the, the earth there? And, and, and William Blake goes on to, to that. Now, I don't believe he believed the myth, but he was, just, he was just kind of exploring it. I wonder, I wonder, and did those feet in ancient times? Um, and then he goes on to talk about, well, let's just pretend that he did for a moment. In that, in that godless age there in England, let's just pretend that... that that the Christ did visit, what would that have looked like? And he has a, has a couple of lines about, you know, you know bring me my golden bow and, and so forth. And then, I, I like this particular line, um, bring me my chariot of fire. Now, why would Jesus summon a chariot of fire? Well, a chariot of fire was the gift given to the most esteemed of prophets. We could, we could think of 2 Kings 2.11, where um, uh, Elisha has, has that moment that he really dreaded. You know, everybody kept reminding him that senior prophet Elijah is about to be called home. Uh, and, um, and so he's, he doesn't really want Elijah to go and to take on the mantle. You know, Paul Elisha is kind of feeling like an unprepared, you know, uh, apprentice. And, and anyway, everybody keeps reminding him, hey, don't you know, you know, Elijah's going home. He says, do not speak of it. And, you know, he goes on and, hey, Elijah's going home. So I just don't, don't talk about it. And then, hey, Elijah, he's got, will you please be quiet? He probably may not have been being so polite. Anyway, finally, this moment comes 
in 2 Kings uh, uh, chapter, chapter 2, verse 11, and, and all of a sudden, a chariot of fire and horses of fire appear. And Elijah is taken up like a whirlwind in his chariot of fire. So it's kind of a, a symbol of, a, of an authenticated prophet. And so in this poem by William Blake, he says, bring me my, my chariot of fire. In fact, um, that is the basis on which the film Chariots of, of Fire was written about. You know, a, a particular man who takes a strong stand and is, a, is a, a, like a prophet representative of God. And um, um, of course, in, in that film, there was a champion runner who was representative of God there. But then right at the end of the poem, as if to give away what he is really thinking, William Blake, who in his later years showed a few more leanings towards spiritual things, he, he, right after the poem, he writes this line. He, he writes, Would to God that all the Lord's people were prophets. Would to God that all the Lord's people were prophets. In, in other words, perhaps in William Blake's thinking, more important than the fact that this myth might have been true, that Jesus really did, you know, walk the earth of England. More important than that, in this, in this time of chaos, in this time of upheaval and uncertainty, more important is this thought. What if all of God's people were acting like prophets and representing God? That'd do the trick, wouldn't it? Isn't that interesting? Very, very interesting thought. And... Uh, and that, of course, echoes Numbers 11.29. It was as a moment, Moses leading, leading the people. They were crying out they hadn't had a good steak in a while. And they, they were wanting meat, and God promises meat. And Moses says, well, there's around 600,000 uh, 600, men alone, and men like their meat. That's a lot of meat, Lord. I mean, it was just all of our stock alone, you know, would be insufficient for that, you know. And you're promising the meat? I, I, I just want to check this with you. For real? Real? And God says, yes, now go get the, go get the elders and, and call them. And so he brings, he brings 70 elders, and, and the Spirit of God falls upon them. And they, along with Moses, are able to, to lead the people and just say, all right, settle down, we're going to get you your barbecue, okay? Just, just chill, everybody. And so the Spirit of God comes upon them for that moment. Now, not all of the elders apparently were there. And young Joseph, his aide from old, comes and he says, Al dad and, and me dad, they too are prophesying. But they weren't with the group when the Spirit of God came upon them. And listen to Moses' reply here. It's fantastic. He says, are you jealous for my sake? Because they, they happen to be prophesying because the Spirit of God is upon them, but they weren't a part of the special group. Are you jealous for my sake? Oh, now listen to this. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his Spirit on them. Moses' words, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Wow. We've just been talking about the importance of the, the spirit, of, spirit of God coming upon us and empowering us for a particular task to be like a prophet, God's representative to, to others. Um, some years ago, I was in Brunei. And uh, on a stopover, I was in the shopping mall and I was looking around, surprisingly actually, I was looking around for just a decent coffee. 
And as I couldn't find any, I started to think, okay, I think my best, best bet here is probably to find some hotel restaurant or something like that. That'll, that'll, you know, I'll, I'll be able to get something there. But of course, I didn't have a map with me and I really didn't know where, where they were, but I, I saw coming towards me a man who looked like he belonged in Brunei. Um, he, was, he was Caucasian, he had a you know, very, very tall, you know, gray hair, he, a lovely suit, shiny shoes, and he was carrying a briefcase that made me look like he was on, you know, he was on business. Um, there in Brunei, and so I asked him, excuse me, um, thinking you know, he'll be able to speak English, excuse me, um, just wondering, do you know where you know, I, I might find a, a nice hotel, I'm, gonna, I'm looking for a decent cup of coffee or something like that, and, and instantly, um, like two English-speaking people in a, in a foreign, foreign country, he was very, very helpful, just smile and, yes, I can help you, and he, and he led, me, led me to the door of the moor and he gave me very specific instructions, you know, a left and a right and so forth, and I said, thank you very much, and, and uh, yeah, yeah, have a great day, you have a great day too, lovely, lovely little exchange, and as we descended the stairs, he went ahead of me, and, and as, as he descended the stairs, a, a shiny black car pulls up. A man jumps out and opens up the door for him, and, um, and I think, well, that's impressive. And, uh, and on the front of this car was, was a British flag. And suddenly I realised, oh, oh, I think I've just got some instructions for a coffee shop from the High Commissioner. Um, and uh, as they called in the, in the Commonwealth. Um, and uh, anyway, as I descended the stairs, by way of contrast, absolutely nothing happened. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking at this particular time that I was feeling a little insecure. You know, he was something and, and I'm a nothing. The truth is, though, that we are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a physical experience. And there is another realm in which I have certain diplomatic status. I am a prophet of God. Yes, I know, I know. You might just uh, talk to me a little differently later, won't you? And, and I, you. But, but with the Spirit of God upon us and this prophetic status that we have as representatives of God, we can actually be seen in a very different light, like, like sometimes chariots are. All of a sudden, God gives an insight, and, and what looks like a hopeless situation is actually a situation very much under control with chariots of fire. There is a sense in which perhaps as I descended my stairs, I could have clicked my fingers and said, bring me my chariot of fire. And um, it would have been a nice, that, that would have been my William Blake moment, wouldn't it? You see, we're all, in a sense, in a very real sense, ambassadors of God. Um, an ambassador is an, a, an official envoy. An envoy is a, is a messenger or a representative um, of a particular, particular nation or, or their head of state. And we are at that point now where we're going to discover in our acrostic, which abide represents E. What does it mean to be an envoy, an, an envoy of grace? The Spirit of God, the Spirit of grace comes upon us. He fills us, fills us with grace. That grace overflows, and, and we get to um, walk that grace around the world and be an ambassador for Christ. Well, um, abide. Um, why abide? Just by, by way of quick review, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we, we certainly want to bring God glory. We want him to be seen for who he really is. We believe that that will happen as we live fruitful lives. Fruitfulness is the inevitable result of abiding. How do we abide? Big question. We've been on it for a little while. 
Well, we discovered that, that if, we, if we do this all together, assemble as often as we can, that will help. That's A. B, take time to be still in the presence of God. That's important. I, imitate Christ. D, d- our devotion to one another. That's how we'll be known as his disciples. And now E, envoys of grace. And the question in your mind is, well, how long can Stuart stretch this one out for? You will be surprised. Um... Where does this E, envoys of grace, actually come from? From the, the John 15, the teaching, the vine and the branches. In John 15, uh, verse, chapter 15, verse 2, fruit is the inevitable result of abiding. And the more fruitful we are, guess what? God prunes us. And why does he do that? Well, when he prunes us, actually, it's because we're going to produce even more fruit. So this, this fruitfulness seems to be the mainstay. It's, it's what we are purposed for. God wants us to live fruitful lives. He goes on, and in verse 16, he says, The truth is, you didn't choose me. How often do we think, you know, Jesus is happy because we chose him. I chose you to be my Lord. No, no, no. You got it wrong. He chose us. And then, guess what? You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you. Now, there's our appointment. There's our status as ambassadors and envoys, as commissioners, as, as people who are going to represent the king, the head of state in his new kingdom. I chose you and appointed you to bear much fruit, indeed, eternal fruit. When we say much fruit, don't get proud of your garden. No, this is eternal fruit. This is the fruit that can only come about through the grace of God. And so here we are appointed to bear fruit, to live fruitful lives, to be envoys of grace. Paul picks up on this particular image in 2 Corinthians 5, and that's where we're going to go for the, for the next few weeks Um, interrupted isn't the right word, but taking a little bit of a break um, with our virtual camp and and, uh, um, Hellenic ministries. But but we're going to have a look at 2 Corinthians, in fact, chapter 2 through to verse 5. And and you're going to to leave this morning. You're going to leave this morning with a a bit of an overview of chapters 2 to 5, okay? You might not understand all of it, but you'll have, have something of an overview. There and in particular, we'll we'll bite off at least at least one of those points. But in chapter five, verse twenty, Paul describes himself as an apostle, as an ambassador for Christ, Christ's ambassadors, one who has been placed or appointed um, to to such a task. Now the problem is, and and this is where we are actually very very blessed. Um, Paul's Paul's little little discourse here is actually um, answering the question about, well, Paul, you're actually a pretty unimpressive character, and we're actually not so sure of you. That's what the word was from the Corinthian church, and Paul is actually answering that, and, and we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. But, but that's the nature sometimes of diplomats, ambassadors, high commissioners. When I approach that, that gentleman in a nice suit with the, you know, with the briefcase and so forth, I had no idea who he was. You know, we don't, ambassadors, diplomats, they don't wear a uniform. It's just a, you know, dressed well. I I kind of thought, he'll know where to find a good coffee. But that's about the only thought that I had. And and that's that's the case. Most, listen, this is a surprise, but most people out there on the streets, they don't know about your diplomatic status. It's true. 
I mean, I know you hold your head high and you know who you are, right? But a lot of other people don't. They don't recognize you. And so, so it makes, makes this a little bit challenging. And actually, the Corinthians were kind of saying to Paul, Paul, frankly, you're a fairly unimpressive character. We've got these other people kind of shooting through Corinth and Man, you ought to hear them talk. They are so charismatic. I mean, they are great orators. The way they string their words together is amazing. Paul, by way of contrast, you know what? We've got a few questions. And so Paul is writing them in 2 Corinthians. He is writing to them and he's he's kind of giving, although he shouldn't have to, but a little bit of an apology for his unimpressive status. And um, the actual fact is, he was a little bit concerned. You know, he had sent, sent them the previous letter and he was a little bit concerned, well, what's the response going to be from the Corinthian church? And he actually says in, in chapter two, uh, verse 12, now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. Funny little verse, isn't it? I didn't, I got there, the Lord had opened a door for me. Now Troas is back on the other side of the ocean there on the Aegean. And I got to Troas and uh, the Lord had opened a door for him. So fantastic, you would think, well, you know, do a kind of an Ephesus, stay there for two years and make the most of it. But he had no peace. So I said goodbye and I went. It's got a, what's that about? And, and why was it so important to, you know, to find Titus there? Well, Titus was coming from Corinth. And he had word about how the letter, his fairly difficult, harsh letter, had been received. So there is Paul with an open door in Troas, but Titus hasn't got to him yet. And what is Paul consumed about? He's thinking, I still have no peace within me about how the church in Corinth is going. Titus isn't here to give me a report. So what does he do? He says goodbye, and he shoots over the, over the ocean, and he heads for Macedonia. And then he picks up this, or just if you're, if you're interested, he picks up this theme. In fact, he doesn't pick it up again until chapter 7, um, verse 5. He says, For when we came into Macedonia, this, this uh, body of ours had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Finally, in chapter 7, he picks up the theme how he got to Macedonia and Titus had come to, to see him again. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Isn't that interesting? From chapter 2 all the way to chapter 7, there's this little, there's little you know, in parentheses, there's this little little story or, or um, insight more to the theology of the grace of the new covenant. And, uh, and really it's pegged right in there between Paul giving an apology for his unimpressive status and why he was concerned whether the church in Corinth would just outright reject him. And this is gold. In these few chapters here, we actually have a wonderful understanding of this new covenant of grace. I am so glad that Paul had his insecurities and his, and his fears about the Corinthian church. I'm so glad that he, that he feels at this point that he needs to explain, okay, I know, generally speaking, I'm unimpressive. I know that people do not represent my diplomatic status as a representative of Jesus Christ. 
the Lord. I know all of that. Well, let me explain to you why it is. If you have ever wondered, all right, if I am a son of God, if I'm a daughter of God, if I am this you know, prince or princess of the king, if I have this exalted status in Christ Jesus, why is my life so ordinary? Anyone wondered that? Yeah, anyone? Anyone? I do. It's from time to time, all the time. Why are we so ordinary, huh? What's the deal with that? Well, Paul explains. And over these next few chapters, we have the privilege of explaining this as well. Okay, now I'm going to give you seven pictures. And these pictures will help you to to understand these next few chapters. But first, before I kick off, the first picture is, is of, a, of a huge coffee cup. I know, I know. Every now and again, I can use props. Yeah, it's impressive. Okay, a huge coffee cup. Now, I need a volunteer. I'm gonna show you a trick with this. I need a volunteer from the audience. So I haven't actually organized this. Ollie, would you? Thank you, Ollie. Pretty sure the service support put the coffee on before the start of the service, so it should be brewed. Can you go and fill this, Ollie, um, like a good waiter? Could you go and fill this with, with coffee and a little bit of milk? I, I like mine white. Yeah, lovely. Thanks, Ollie. Okay, a round of applause for Ollie. Great servant. All right, you didn't know I was capable of tricks either, did you? Tricks and props all in one service. More, there is more. Okay, in the kitchen, there are some steak knives. Help yourselves. Uh, nothing to do with the service. Right, here are the pictures, okay? Now, I think you need to stand up for this one, if you, if you are. Stand, stand up and a little, little stretch. This would have been good last week in the heat, wouldn't it? Okay, the first picture is, and, and okay, you, you need to kind of picture this with your hands, is, well, we've got the huge coffee cup, all right? You can picture that. You need two hands. I need you to, to hold, be holding that, that coffee cup. All right, I've got to remind myself of the picture here. Okay, in this coffee cup, Actually, there is, there is coffee. Oh, Ollie, stop there, stop there. Here it comes now. Could you just hold it, just wave the aroma of the coffee. Just wave it around, wave it around. Okay, all right, now slowly proceed. Waving, wafting, wafting, wafting. Aroma of coffee everywhere. Lovely. Whoa, have you ever thought of being a professional waiter or dancer? Neither. Th neither, okay, lovely. Thanks, thank you, Ollie. Round of applause again for Ollie. That is good. Sorry, if you're wondering what the trick was, I was getting served a cup of coffee whilst preaching. I've, I've never done that before. I've never done that. Okay, we'll put that over there. And that is wafting, wafting, wafting. Okay. All right, so you've got the huge coffee cup, okay? It is filled with coffee, and there is a lovely, lovely aroma coming out of that. But, but interestingly, in this particular coffee cup also, there is a very large torch, and it's, uh, uh, so um, downside is in the bottom, and it's, it's one of those very, really large police ones, big metal torches, and it's shining upwards. So right in your coffee cup is what? A very large torch. torch. Well done, well done. Okay, over the top of the torch is a veil. It's like a veil a bride might, might, might wear. And for the girls who are really nervous, it goes over the outside of the coffee cup, okay? It's not, it's not in the coffee cup. This does not, it's, it's, okay? And so what have we got? Firstly, we've got a huge coffee cup. In that is a torch. Over the top of the torch is a... Fantastic, okay. 
I know, some of you are incredulous. How could this possibly be? What would hold the veil there in a strong wind? Ridiculous. All right, here's what holds the veil there in a strong wind. Tent pegs. Why would you have tent? Because there's a tent on top of the veil. Okay, so I want you to picture a big tent actually pegged in around the, the veil. You got that? Okay, so first we had the huge... Okay, then inside that was a... Over the top of that was a... And on top of the, on top of the veil was a... A tent. Fantastic. All right, my first lie for the day. Actually, it was just a mistake. The, the, tent, the tent's not there. What holds the... Let me just check my notes, you see. What holds the, the veil over the torch is actually a clay pot. A clay pot or a clay jar. All right? And that actually, I reckon, would be more efficient anyway. So let's go with the clay, the clay pot. It's holding the veil in place. On top of the clay pot, guess what? A tent. You got it. You guys are good. You guys are good. All right, so we've got the coffee cup, and inside that is the, and then over that is the held by a clay pot, and then on top of that is a, at the entrance to the tent is a globe, a globe of the world. I don't know if you like the antique ones in sort of the brown or whether you like the colorful blue and green. Uh, blue and green for me, uh, I just love water. Okay, blue, so there's a, there's a globe of the world. Yeah, there it is, right at the, it's surprising. It's not what you expect to see at the entrance of a tent, isn't it? But this is a true story. So that globe is right there at the entrance to the tent and standing on the globe is a person with a very large hand stretched out. All right, this person with a very large hand stretched out. Okay, going back to our first image, we've got a coffee cup. Then we've got a, then we've got a, then we've got a, then we've got a, at the entrance we have a, on top of that is a, okay, turn to the person next to you and one of you build the pictures going up and the other of you build the pictures going down. I'll just drink coffee. Okay, you've worked hard. You can have a seat. Well done. Very well done. As I said, you would leave this morning with an overview of chapters 2 to 5. There it is. Cool, huh? <laughs> Throughout chapters 2 to 5, Paul uses seven images. And you all have those images now in your head. And you will remember them and we will practice them. Um, and the first one that Paul uses is found in chapter 2, verses 14. And we'll have a quick look at that. We'll have a quick look at that now. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, we'll, we'll go on reading a little bit about this first image. You're kind of thinking, really? Did Paul have a triple-shot latte? No, he didn't actually. But, but he did have an image of something rather aromatic, a beautiful aroma, that aroma that you would have smelt as, as Ollie was bringing my coffee down the, down the uh, aisle here. In so in chapter 2, verse, verses 14, But thanks be to God, 
who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And to the one we are an aroma that brings death and to the other an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Who is equal to such a task? So here we have this image of an aroma. And the coffee cup is really just to, just to help you to remember a cup of something that produces a lovely aroma. I am told by, by some people that, that they don't drink coffee. <laughs> I don't, didn't believe this at first, but no, 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 they, 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 they said, they, they really did. They don't drink coffee, apparently, and yet they are Christian. Um, <laughs> anyway, they tell me, these people, um, they tell me that even to a non-coffee drinker, they love the aroma of coffee. It's just a, it's a, just a beautiful aroma. And, um, and so, so here is Paul talking about, about an aroma as one of the distinctive features of Christians. Um, on the one hand, it might not be immediately evident, this exalted status that you have in Christ Jesus. On the other hand, people can sense it. They actually can sense something, although they can't always articulate what it is that they sense. Whether it's a sixth sense or whatever it might be, somehow they are able to detect an aroma. Now this aroma is very pleasing to God because for God it's a little bit like he's got a cup. Uh, you're the cup and it's a cup of Christ and, and the aroma of Christ is actually what is wafting and tantalizing people's senses and getting them to turn around and thinking, what is that? And here we are, you and I, um, cups of Christ going out into the world every day. And the image here is in triumphal procession. What does that mean? Well, it means when, when one particular army had conquered another army, they would often delight in taking you know, the, the highest officials of that, whoever was still alive, and they would, they would chain them and, and humiliate them and, and have them actually march through the town in, in a, a sort of a triumphant procession of, of having been taken captive. And in actual fact, in Roman culture in those days, they would, they would even have a, a ceremony, a time of thanksgiving beforehand, a time of thanksgiving to the gods for, for the victory. And then they would have the triumphal procession, actually, you know, march the way through town. So it was a, it's a strange image for Paul to come up with here, isn't it? But this is the image that Paul uses. And he's happy to use it. He's happy to say, I am a captive to Jesus Christ. I have been conquered and it is the best thing. And Jesus has taken me, Paul, and he has conquered me and made me captive to his ways and life couldn't be better. I mean, I am just jubilant about this triumphal procession. Here is Jesus Christ leading this triumphal procession and here I am, his captive, and I want to be the first to yell or to sing his praises and to yell out, and this is a great thing. That's an interesting image, an interesting twist, isn't it? But here is, here is what Paul is saying. Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. And as he does that, he uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Wow. 
Now, if life felt for you just a little bit purposeless this week, if you've looked at your schedule and there's nothing particularly exciting, think of it this way. As you leave your home tomorrow morning, you don't just leave alone, bag in hand or sandwich or whatever it is, sort of <gasps> another six whole days before it's Sunday again. Oh, well, I'll survive. And, and head out into your week feeling nothing but despair and, and lack of meaning. No, 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 no. According to Paul, your day should look something like, I'm a captive! Whoa! Yes! Jesus, lead me in the triumphal procession. Let me be the first out there to let everybody just take in the aroma. That's kind of how to start your day. Thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. You are tomorrow morning starting that procession. That starts with you. Head out. It's like, it's like the Moomba parade. You're right up there and you're whoa, whoa, captive to Christ, captive to Christ. Look at me. That, that's, that's, the, that's the sense here. Strange, huh? But Paul picks up on these images and he says, this is real, this is mission, this is life, this is the way of the kingdom. This is what it means to be a Christian. It's filled with purpose, filled with meaning, filled with life and thanksgiving, and I love it and you should love it too. That's kind of the deal here. We are the aroma of God in a world that has no sense of him. We provide that sense of life of wonder, of joy, of purpose, of, of God. We show the world what it means to, to be in God and to be alive with God. I tell you what, tomorrow morning is going to be an amazing morning and when you head out, yes, you can have a kick in your step and a smile on your face because it's filled with purpose. God has no other plan. If if you don't go out into the world as the aroma of Christ, there is no plan B. He doesn't have little jars of, of, of Christ coffee. You know, oh, the Christians aren't going out. Here, smell this, smell this. There's no other plan. It's you and I. We are the aroma. And as we go out, it's like this amazing procession starting here and there and wherever you live and going all out around, around Melbourne and wherever your plans are going to take you next week. Some of you may go interstate, some overseas, through technology all around the world. Well, even today, why wait till tomorrow? God is commissioning you to go out from here and to carry with you the aroma of Christ. Now, he says, to those who are being saved, this aroma is, is going to automatically bring to mind a very, very pleasant thought. Oh, I know that. <laughs> Oh, I know that. that. That right there is, that's the aroma that brings life. But to others who are perishing, when they smell that, it's going to be disturbing. Uh, they're not going to be comfortable with it. It's going to be, oh, I don't like that. That's some, oh, just a few minutes ago, all I was thinking about is, is how much how much cash I have in the account and and um, and my life and how I'm doing in my career and and just just how cozy life is right now and I really didn't not want to be thinking about anything else. <laughs> I don't like that aroma. It reminds me of other things, deep things that I like like not to think about too much, like death and mortality and other things. 
I don't like that. To those who are perishing, it's an aroma that, that brings a memory of death. How, how can the one aroma mean two different things? I, I recall back in my police force days when we would, um, often after a, a, a car accident or an incident that required somebody to be hospitalized, we would front up at um, um, emergency afterwards to take statements from people and so forth. And, and all of my memories of, of, of a hospital smell were not good memories. All of my memories of hospital smells had to do with tragic incidences, the emergency room. So many, many years later, when, when God blessed us with the, the first and the second, third, and our fourth child, it took on a whole different, different meaning. All of a sudden, I was introduced to other areas of the hospital, the maternity ward, even the labor ward. But they were pleasant memories, they were good memories, and all of a sudden, it st started to change the way the way that I thought about hospitals. When I walk into a hospital nowadays, I don't instantly think of the emergency room, tragedy, trauma, difficulty, despair, and so on. Now, I understand that for many, many people, this is a place actually of, of, of healing, of birth, of new life, of joy, of families gathering, and even of celebration. It can be both, can't it? And to one person, the smell of a hospital might kind of, kind of bring all, all sort of feelings of, oh, don't like this. And yet to another person, it can actually bring a, oh yes, I remember when such and such was born. We gathered around the bed, oh, the flowers, the chocolates, and so on. And so hospitals, the smell of a hospital, can actually bring two different senses to, to do two different people. And so it is with the aroma of Christ. To one person, it can actually, actually be a troubling smell, and to somebody else, it can be a, be a smell or an aroma of celebration. Who are these that are perishing? John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son. Whoever believes in him will not perish. Who are the people who are perishing? Those who don't yet have a belief in Jesus Christ. Who are the people who are not perishing? those who have a belief in Jesus Christ. So the aroma of Jesus Christ to those who do not yet believe in him, who are perishing, is not necessarily a comfortable aroma. It can be troubling. It can remind them of, of, all, sorts of all sorts of things. But for those who do believe, it's a very, very sweet aroma. It's the aroma of life. It's the, uh, the aroma of, of relationship with God. And so that is our task every day, to bring the aroma of Jesus Christ into the world. And Paul finishes this, this little, little picture here with this one sentence. And who is equal to such a task? Who is equal to such a task? Do you sometimes feel a little inadequate? Who are you? Who am I to bring the aroma of Jesus Christ to a hurting world? Wow, who can do that? Boy, do you ever feel just a little bit like there's the coffee's gone cold and the aroma <laughs> doesn't feel so fresh anymore? And oh boy, who, who is equal to such a task? Well, as we continue by the Spirit of God to allow ourselves to be corralled into that triumphant procession, to follow Jesus, to be captive to the ways of Jesus, God will just do it. It's a little bit like fruit, you know. You don't have to work to produce the fruit. You don't have to work to produce the aroma. It's the inevitable result of being in Christ. 
And as you commit yourself to the, to the ways of Christ, to, to walking in his ways, guess what? The aroma will be there. Um, last year was the year of weddings, wasn't it? Wow, we had so many in the church. And it's such a delight sitting down with a, with a young couple and to, to go over the expectations and the excitement of it all. One young couple just recently told me how God is already using their relationship as a testimony. Sitting down with some people one day, they, they actually were quizzing them about their relationship. Frankly, they liked what they saw. They liked what they saw in this young couple. And the question was, so are you guys sleeping together yet? And it was a pretty confronting question. And, and they just sort of laughed and said, actually, um, no, 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 we've chosen not to. We've chosen to make that a, a little bit of a gift to one another for after, after our commitment is solid, after we've been married. That's the way we believe Jesus, Jesus would have it. That's what we believe the Bible teaches. And so um, rather than being scorned by this, this these, these friends were, were sitting and they were actually pretty impressed by that. I think back to my own experience, um, Port Melbourne Police Station, years ago, we weren't yet married, but, but as, as you do with work colleagues who are talking about the upcoming wedding and that sort of thing, and somehow they knew a couple of things about me. They knew that I was a Christian, they knew that I'd be getting married soon, and they knew that I didn't, I didn't live with my fiancé, which was all a little bit strange. But the same question came up one day, and uh, I said, no, we're waiting, we're waiting till we get married. And um, I remember the uh, senior constable who had asked me that. I remember his, his draw dropped, actually not to the counter, to the floor. It was just in disbelief. I, I was really thinking I might have to resuscitate him. It was just kind of unbelievable. And yet I was waiting for what, what would come next now. Am I, going to be the, am I going to be the laugh of the police station? Am I, am I just going to be the biggest joke here? And, you know, going to, I can just wait till word gets around here. But, you know, I took my stand. I've said what, I've said what is, is true of, of our particular stand on this issue. This is, this is it. I let the chips fall where they will. And, and you know what? Not at all. Not a laugh. Not a giggle. No scorning whatsoever. Amazing. What was that about? I really, hey, I understand Aussie culture. <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for it all to come. All right, come on, take your shots at me. None, nothing, nada, zip. Very interesting. What was that about? Well, it was about that incredible phenomenon that when we agree to walk in the ways of Christ, to, to be corralled into that triumphal procession, say, so I'm, I'm captive to the ways of Jesus. Jesus himself, produces an aroma. I didn't have to do it. It just happened. All I did was, was by the spirit of Christ within me, agree to be captive to the ways of Jesus as much as my flesh didn't want to. And God took that and produced an aroma from that that left people asking many, many more very good and very intelligent questions from that day on. So who is up? to such a task. You and I, we are. We're up to it. We're up to it. And it doesn't matter what the past holds and it doesn't matter how unworthy you might feel. Do you know what? Every day is a new day with Jesus. Every day is a new start with Jesus. Every day is a brand new day to take a new step with him 
and say, let's do this, Jesus. Lead on. I'm up for this triumphal procession. Are you up for it? Let's pray. You might like to just take a moment to just pause and think about what your week looks like. Just in your, in your mind's eye here, why don't you take a walk up and down your street? In your mind's eye, follow that, that route that you take to get to school or uni or work or drop the kids off or to get to the shops or visit family, whatever it might be. Does it take you on some busy roads and into some traffic, cars filled with people? Sometimes the words of Jesus come to mind. As he looked upon the crowds, he saw that they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. People need the aroma of Christ. They need a shepherd. They need their senses awakened. They need to come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. And as you go out in that triumphal procession, as a cup of Christ, you are bringing the aroma of God to a hurting world. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your spirit of grace who lives within us, who is up to such a task. Those who are in Christ as Paul will go on to explain, those who have the reality of Jesus Christ living within through the Spirit of God. We thank you for this wonderful calling. We thank you for the purpose and the meaning and the privilege that is ours. We thank you for calling us to this diplomatic mission. We thank you for for asking us to be your commissioners, your ambassadors, your envoys, envoys of grace. And we look forward to all that this week holds with that thought in mind, Lord. Use us, please, to be a sweet aroma, an aroma that is pleasing to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.